0: Okay, this is a doozy. So settle in, and I just ask for grace as I get my tongue around these names. Okay, so our reading starts at chapter 10, verse 1. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the ones to whom children were born after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and Tiras, and the sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Ripath, and Togomar, and the sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodamin. From these the coastland people spread out through their lands, each according to his own language by their own families in their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan, and the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabtaka, the sons of Rama, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush, father Nimrod, he was the first on the earth to be a mighty warrior. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore, it was said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Now, the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went out to Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Eir, uh, Kalan, Resen, between Nineveh and Calah. That is the great city. And Egypt fathered Lalim, Animim, Lehabim, and Naphtalim and Pathrushizim, and Kasulim, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphterem. Canaan was fathered by Sidon, his firstborn, and Heth, and the Jezebites, Amorites, Girgashites, and the Hivatites, and the Architites, and the Sinites, and the Arvadites, and the Zemerites, and the Hamathites. Afterward, the families of the Canaanites were spread abroad and the territory of the Canaanites was from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, and Admah and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the descendants of Ham according to their families and their languages in their lands and in their nations. And, Shem, and to Shem, the father of all the children of Eba, and the older brother of Japheth, children were also born. The sons of Shem, Elam, Ashur, Afaxad, Lud, and Aram, and the sons of Aram, Azhal, Getha, and Mash, and Afaxad, fathered Shelah, or Selah, and Selah fathered Ebna. Eba, And Ebba's two sons were born. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and the name of his brother was Joktan. And Joktan fathered Almodad, Shelef, Hazamapheth, Jerah, Hadaram, Uzziah, and Dikla, and Obai, and Abimmael, and Sheba and Ophir, and Havilah, and Jobah. All these were the sons of Joktan. And their dwelling place extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. These are the sons of Shem according to their families, according to their languages, in the lands according to their nations. These are the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations, and in their nations. And from these, the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from east, they found a plain in the land of Shinna and settled there. And they said to each other, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had tar for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Then Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower that humankind was building. And Yahweh said, behold, they are one people with one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. So now nothing that they intend to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand each other's language. So Yahweh scattered them from from there over the face of the whole earth and they stopped building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel. And there Yahweh confused the language of the whole earth And there Yahweh scattered them across the face of the whole earth. Now these are the generations of Shem. When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Aphaxad, two years after the flood. And Shem lived 500 years after he fathered Aphaxad, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Aphaxad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah, and Aphaxad lived four hundred years three years after he fathered Shelah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Shelah had lived 30 years, he fathered Ebba, and Shelah lived four hundred years and th- 403 years after he fathered Ebba, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Ebba had lived 34 years, he fathered Peleg, and Ebba lived 430 years after he fathered Peleg, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he fathered Riu, and Peleg lived 209 years after he followed Riu, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Riu had lived 32 years, he followed Sirach, and Riu lived 270 years after he followed Sereg, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Sereg had lived 30 years, he fathered Nahor, and Sereg lived 200 years after he fathered Nahor and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he fathered Terah, and Nahor lived 119 years after he fathered Terah, and he fathered other sons and daughters. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran fathered Lot. And Haran died in the presence of Terah, his father, in the land of his birth, Ur of Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of the wife of Abram was Sarai, and the name of the wife of Nahor was Milcah, the daughter of Haran. The father of Milcah was Iscah, and Sarai was barren, she had no children. And Terai took Ab- Abram, his son, and Lot, and son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, the daughter-in-law, and the wife of Abram. Abraham. His son went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan, and they went to Haran and settled there. And the days of Terah was 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And Yahweh said to Abram, Go out from your land and from your relatives and from the house of your father to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. All families of the earth will bless you. And Abram went out as Yahweh had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he went out from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his nephew, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the persons that they had acquired in Haran. And they went out to the land of Canaan, and they went to the land of Canaan. And Abram travelled through the land up to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morath. And the Canaanites were in the land at the time. And Yahweh appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And he built an altar there to Yahweh, who had appeared to him. And he moved on from there to the hill country east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent at Bethel on the west, and at Ai on the east. And he built an altar there to Yahweh, and he called on the name of Yahweh. Hear the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Linda. Good job. Okay, so you might be wondering, how am I going to deal with this big, long piece of text? Well, it's really a big story, so you might notice there was a lot of nows through that um, and it's all showing its one flowing story and um, I was mentioning this to the Michael this week and he went, well indeed the whole Bible's one story isn't it? So you've got to pick where are we going to you know chop it down but um, all these stories this morning go together and I've titled our message this morning the call to mission and so we're going to look at this chunk from Genesis 10:1 through to 128. And what we're going to talk about is that the call to mission requires us to follow the command of our Lord Jesus to go. And it's to go even when it requires us to make nonsensical sacrifices. What do I mean by that? Well, in our world today, we've got all sorts of weird things that happen. When we go overseas, are people around us like us? No, there are different people. People have different lands, they have different languages, Different families, different nations, all these different things make it uncomfortable for us when we leave our own country. But you see, God wants us to go, whether it's five metres down the road or across the world, maybe to Sicily or somewhere else, like uh, Linda and Steve are going at some point. Um, But you see, to people outside the church, a lot of these things where we go, especially when missionaries go to a Muslim country or something like that, it's nonsensical to them. Why would you leave your family, your people to go and serve other people overseas? Or why would you go to the country where it's almost a desert? Why would you leave beautiful Newcastle, beautiful Stockton to go inland? Why would you do these things? But it's often because God calls us to go and bless other people. And we're going to see this today through five different stories. So we've got to start, we've got the table of nations, so that was that big genealogy at the start where it kept going on and on and on with all the names that Linda well read out. We've got the scattering at Babel, so that's the Tower of Babel story we had for the kids earlier. We've got the aftermath of Babel, which is what happened afterwards and who was responsible for Babel. We've got the after flood ancestors, who was... after the flood how did they live we're going to think about that and then we're going to look at the calling of God what does it mean to be called by God to go somewhere so let's pray I'm going to pray for us and we'll get through into our message Uh, Lord we just thank you we can come here this morning uh, even with the supercars and all sorts of other things happening we just pray that we'd be able to quiet our hearts listen to what you're trying to tell us this morning from your word Uh, Please give me the words to speak uh, that will speak to people's hearts most uh, effectively uh, and that will show uh, people why we need to go, whether it's, as I said, five metres down the road or all the way around the world to do your work. And we just pray we'd be receptive of it by your spirit. Amen. Okay, we're going to get started with the table of nations. So what we're going to look at here is why do we live as separate nations? Why don't we all live in the United States of America? Or why aren't we all the United Kingdom? Why are we not all the United Arab Emirates? We're all different nations. We're in different places around the world. We've got different peoples. We've got different places. And that's what we're going to find the genealogy, which is the generations of Noah, is all about. So this text is about a repeated theme, and you'll see it through three verses. Genesis 10.5 says, From these the coastland peoples spread out through their lands, each according to his own language, by their own families and in their nations. Now the coastland peoples, if you remember it, was the sons of Japheth. So they're one group, and it says that they had their own lands, their own language, their own families, and their own nations. So that's Genesis 10.5. Genesis 10.11 has a similar thing with the sons of Ham. So they had their own families, their own languages, their own lands, their own nations. And Genesis 10.31, same thing with Shem. And what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that to God, these families, these nations, these languages, these lands, they're all very important to God. And we're going to come back to what did God tell Noah and his sons a little later. But if you think about it for a second, each of us has a family, and when we pass away, when we die, just like they did in the genealogy of Noah, you pass on a heritage. You pass on something from your life. And for us, that's often through births and marriages, or in some cases, in adoptions. So I'm adopted, so I actually inherit what my adoptive parents will leave for me eventually, because I'm legally their child, regardless of physical birth. And you see, we share some ethnicity and we have gender elements, don't we? So within our families, we have a harmony between people because we're sharing common goals, sharing common ancestry. So things might not always be super harmonious, but generally we get along with our family pretty well. And you see, there's that one component, which is the family, the nation. So it starts at that level. But then we get to where the nation is and we start to talk about land and language. But what is our land and our language really about? Well, I think it's about creeds and cultures. That is, who you worship, or what you worship, and what you do. And if you're thinking about, what do I worship, what do I do? Well, these people back then, they were worshiping their creator and they were doing the will of their creator. Because if we look at the generations of Noah, it says these were the nations after the flood. So people had spread out. They'd started doing what God had told them to do. But what did God tell them to do? Well, we're going to get to that. But first, we've got to talk about the scattering at Babel. So what happened at Babel? Well, it was a bit of a crazy, rebellious project, wasn't it? And it tells us why we can't live together as one. And so we're going to have a look at the one text for this part is the Tower of Babel. And we're going to focus on a short bit of it. So we're going to look at an illusion. What does an illusion mean? Well, it's just a, I guess, signposting to something that had come before in the text. And the main illusion that we're going to find with the Tower of Babel is a rebellion against the creation mandate that is what God told them to do as part of their creeds and their culture, they've rebelled against it. Genesis 11, 1 to 4, has now the whole earth had one language and the same words, and as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Notice how it's different. We've gone from multiple languages, multiple lands, multiple peoples, multiple families, multiple nations, to one and they're all migrating from the east. A bit more about that later. They said to each other, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and they had tar for mortar. Now that doesn't sound that, all that weird. We've built this building with you know, bricks, with mortar. Um, so what could be wrong? Well, the next verse says that they said, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top reaches the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So what's going on here? As I said before, it's them rebelling against the creator, both in terms of who they're worshipping and in terms of who they're meant to be following, what they're meant to be doing. And we find this in Genesis 1, 28. right at the beginning, God said to the first humans, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And again, to Noah and his sons, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So they're going against what God had told them to do, which was to have children, have families, create nations and spread out. But what they've done is they've decided to go against God and come together as one, one language, one land, one people. And you see what happens here is that births and marriages get tricky. How do you cope with all these people in one spot? You can't. You can't feed people if you don't have people spread out around the world. And so instead of adoptions, you might be having abortions or leaving children out, as the ancient people did. they just leave their children out in the field to die, to the wilderness, to the weather. And with your ethnicities and your genders, all these different things, when you mix people together, it's not that people coming together is bad in a sense, But people with varying differences, you put too many together and you get disharmony. But ultimately, beyond that family level, we get to the nation, the languages and the lands. So when it comes to creeds and cultures, as we just said before, we've moved from the worship of our creator and the mandate of the creator that is doing what he wants, and we've moved to worship of ourselves and following our own mandate. That's exactly how they started this project. It was, let us go and do this, rather than, God has said this, so we're going to go do it. And so, we get to talk about the aftermath of Babel. Who did it? Who can we point the finger at, I guess, is kind of the short version of it. And what happened after it was scattered? We're going to look at it through two bits of the text. So we're going to go through the legacy of Nimrod, which was within that massive genealogy at the start. And we're going to look at who is Joktan, Who is this guy called Joktan. So starting off with the legacy of Nimrod, we've got another illusion, another signpost pointing back. It says, Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty warrior. He was a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Therefore, it was said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Yahweh. Now, that's meant to be a bit of a boast. Some other people basically going, oh, we know about Nimrod. He's that guy who's a mighty hunter before Yahweh. And how how boastful is that to say you're a mighty hunter before the creator, before the person who had made the universe? And in Genesis 6-4, from Michael's sermon about supernatural oddities, We read that the Nephilim were on the earth in that time. But if you look at the end, these were the mighty warriors that were from ancient times, men of renown. So they were there before and afterwards. And these mighty warriors that it's talking about were men of renown. And it's not a good renown. It was a bad renown. People looked up to their kings and all these mighty people in days past. But they were really tyrants. They were horrible people who basically treated people as trash, as slaves, and said, we are the gods of your world, serve us. And it was not a good thing. And in the same way, Nimrod is one of these sort of people. But does that mean we can just go and point the finger at Nimrod for all these problems, for Babel happening? Well, I don't think we can. Because if you look at the sons of Joktan you've got to think, what does Jocton's name mean? So he's the brother of Peleg, and the Bible tells us what Peleg's name means. That was to divide the earth. So Peleg was born when the earth was divided. But what does Jocton's name mean? Well, it means to be made small or insignificant, and that's quite interesting. Daniel 7.17 says that there were great beasts which are four in number and are four kings which will arise from the earth and you see this idea of Nimrod being that mighty warrior his legacy is of rebellious kingdoms in the world so whilst he may not have started Babel as we're going to see he is the one whose legacy has resulted in all these horrible rebellious kingdoms in the world even to this day As Daniel said with the statue, there was a statue of gold down into silver, into all sorts of different materials, eventually iron and then clay. We're in that final stage of the iron and the clay. And so we're part of a rebellious kingdom in a way, but we're also not because we're part of Christ's kingdom, which we're waiting to come in its fulfillment. But you see, of Nimrod, it says, his beginning was his kingdom at Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. That is the place where Babel was. From that land, he went out to Assyria and he built Nineveh, Rebbeboth, Ear, Kala, resin between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. And so even there, you've got the two, uh, first two of those rebellious kingdoms in Daniel. You've got Babylon and Assyria. And so... How do we get from Nimrod to all these different people the Bible's talking about? Well, we need to look at the sons of Joktan, as I just said. So Joktan he fathered all these different people. These were the sons of Joktan, And straight afterwards, we're going to see where they came from. But if you look at this little map up the back, if you look right in the middle, you might be able to see just slightly to the east, to the right of where Babylon is. It's kind of in between where the green and the yellow meet. It says Joktan. Now, this is a map someone's put together from some different historical sources. The key one is Eusebius, the church historian. So he was from around 400 500 AD from memory. Um, And he put together a table of the nations and put where he thought these people came from. Now, people disagree about this, but take it with a grain of salt for a second. If Joktan and his sons are from the east, do we remember where the people came from to build the Tarah Babel? Well, we see Joktan's sons, their dwelling place was from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. And what we'll find is where that name Joktan on the map is, is the hill country of the east. It's Persia. And so Genesis 11, 1 to 2, we read, that people migrated from the east and they settled there so these people are the ones who instigated the tower of Babel which is quite interesting because you'd think oh the Bible's talked about this horrible guy called Nimrod surely we can point the finger at him but no the Bible's saying we need to take our own sin into account even if we're God's people or the people closely related to God's people as we're going to find out So we're going to look at the after flood ancestors and this gives us a bit of a link as to who these people were, how they were related. So how did the ancestors of God's people live after the flood? Well we've got to think about the sons of Eber. You may have noticed as we're reading through when I got to the sons of Shem talked about a guy called Eber and how he fathered sons as well and we've talked about one already, Joktan but he also had a son called Peleg. And to Eber two sons were born. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and the name of his brother was Joktan. Do you notice anything missing from this or from the rest of the story? The sons of Peleg are not mentioned at all. Not in this part of it anyway. They end it. They just go talk about the sons of Joktan, and then they go and talk about where they lived, but they don't talk about Peleg's sons. We've got to wait till after the Tower of Babel story to then hear about Peleg's son. So Peleg lived 30 years, he fathered Ru, and Peleg lived 209 years and he fathered, after fathering Ru, and he fathered other sons and daughters. So you see, it's a bit interesting that there were some things missing, and we're going to find that in this line of Shem, that is where it goes from, leg through all these other people, eventually down to Abram, who we're going to talk about at the end. There's something else missing. So in the generations of Shem, we read that so-and-so lived X years, he fathered the other child, and so-and-so lived another Y years after he fathered the other child, and he fathered other sons and daughters. Now this pattern, something's missing. And if we go back to the early genealogy in chapter 5, we'll see that when someone such as Adam had lived X years, he fathered a child, this time in his likeness according to his image. That's what's missing. And you see, Genesis 5.1 begins saying, God created Adam, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them. You see, male, female, we're all in God's image if we're created but why does the author of Genesis choose not to put the image of God in this next genealogy well I think it's because it's telling us that they were a godless people and it just keeps going on and on and on that genealogy there's no mention of God at all and so as we think about that nation level again about the languages the lands that they have we've got to think about the creeds and their culture. That is, who did they worship? How did they worship? Who did they follow? And so we've gone from worship of the creator and following what he's told us to do to worshipping ourselves, doing what we've told ourselves to do. And then we've gone to worship of an unknown God. They don't know who God is at all. And they've gone to follow an unknown God how, how can you follow God if you don't know who he is? Well, you've ultimately got to make something up or someone else comes in and becomes your God. And so it's weird that we see this with a genealogy that leads down to our Messiah, to Jesus. There was a godless point in there. And yet God has chosen these people to be the birth line of the Messiah. It's a bit upside down. It doesn't make sense. But that's just what the call of God is. It doesn't make sense. And as we keep going through, we'll see that it still doesn't make sense. The generations of terror, we find an oddity in this spot. So we see that Haran died in the presence of terror, that is, the father of Abram, his father. And so he was in the land of his birth, Ur of the Chaldeans. What does this mean? Well, it's odd that he's died in a foreign land. He's not actually in his ancestral homeland they're in Ur of the Chaldeans they're not Chaldeans themselves there was a different group of people um, and it seems that Terah, Abram and all these people they were traveling around as nomads between different places and so we then had self well worship of God we've gone to worship of self to worship of an unknown God And now they're in a foreign land. So who are they worshipping? Must be the foreign gods. Foreign gods is who they're following, who's telling them what to do. And so it's going to be interesting that we come to the call of God. They actually find out who the creator is once again. And so we get to finally the last part, the calling of God. How did God's people come into a relationship with him? That's what we're going to talk about. And we've got three bits of text. We've got the family of Terah, we've got the call to mission and a new beginning. So we're almost done. Stick with me. So family of Terah says, Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of the wife of Abram was Sarai and the name of the wife of Nahor was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. And Sarai was barren. She had no child. Now I came up, had to look up a new word this week, And it's called an avunculant marriage. And what it means is that it's, for example, an uncle marrying their niece. There's a 25% gene sharing between their offspring. And I don't think this is what the text is talking about. It just glances it. But what you'll find later is that Abram and Sarai are even related somehow. But it doesn't mention that here. Michael will talk about that probably a bit later when we go through more about Abram. But you see the main point in this passage is the barrenness of Sarah and it would have been a cultural shame in their time and it's hard for us to sit here and think how could they not support this woman and the man who don't have a child but in their time it was just a case of well you can't have a child too bad you're cursed suck it up but God is going to do something through these people But before that, we go to the call to mission. And funnily enough, the call to mission is not just to Abram. It says, Terah took Abram his son and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, the wife of Abram his son, and they went out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they went to Haran and they settled there. And then we have, the days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. So isn't that a bit weird? Wasn't Abram meant to be the one to go to Canaan? Why would it talk about Terah going to Canaan? Now, it doesn't tell us whether God told him to go or not, but I think it's pretty interesting that he went to exactly the same place that Abram would later go once his father had died. But what we find is that his father, they get to Haran, which is the name, essentially, of his son. And so they get to their ancestral homeland and they just go, oh, can't really be bothered going where I was gonna go. Family's pretty comfortable, isn't it? I'm just gonna stay home where it's comfortable, where I'm able to generate good business, able to have good relationships with people, don't have to deal with anybody I don't know. And so he stayed. And he died there. He never did what he set out to do, whether or not it was from God or from himself. But then in Genesis 12:5 we see Abram sets out for the same journey, with all his possessions that he had gathered, with all the persons that he'd acquired, and they went to Canaan, so they went out, and they actually went. So they didn't go out and then settle back home. They did go to the land of Canaan. And so here we've set up a contrast. We've got familial lands, that is lands of our families, and we've got the foreign lands, lands belonging to families not of our own. But what does it mean to have these differences? Well, Genesis 12.1 says that Yahweh told Abram to go out from his land, from his relatives, from the house of his father, into the land that he would show him. And what would he do if he did it? I will make you a great nation, I'll bless you and I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. You see, all these things Abram didn't have, a family, a nation, all these different things which to us seem like a nonsensical sacrifice for him to go and give these things up, in giving them up, God is going to give him what he desires, what you expect in this world. And so going into a foreign land whilst it's uncomfortable. Blessings are bestowed on the person who goes as well as on the people who are near him. He's bringing blessing with him where he goes. And so we need to talk about a new beginning. Abram's kind of set out on a journey, an uncomfortable journey, that his father never finished. But we see that Abram travelled through the land, even the land that was the Canaanites, the horrible people that we've heard about before. And he appear, Yahweh appeared to Abram and he said, to your offspring I will give this land. And he built an altar there to Yahweh who had appeared to him. So he settled down some roots. God had told him, you're going to get this, or your offspring are going to get this. It's not quite yours yet. Trust in me. And Abraham built an altar. He worshipped God, trusted in him. And isn't that such a nonsensical promise? To just worship God and go, I'll trust in you, even though I can't see hundreds of generations down the track. How could Abram know that he was going to have a great nation to be a blessing to people? He wasn't able to see it, but he had to have faith that God would do it. And in the same way, we've got to have faith that Jesus is coming back, that he's going to right all these wrongs, that he's going to give us what we desire, the good things that we desire. Um, If we don't have families right now, if we don't have children, if we have hardships, we can trust that God is going to right those things in the end. And so, as I said at the beginning, the call to mission, it needs us to follow the command of God to go, even when it requires us to make nonsensical sacrifices. So whether it's five metres down the road or over to Sicily, as um, some of our congregation might be going soon. You need to do things that cause sacrifices. We need to give up things that give us comfort, give us peace. But what we know is that the Lord gives us peace in that through, us, through the Holy Spirit. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to pray that God would give us peace and the capability and the boldness to go do these things um, and for all of us, that calling might come at a different time. Tomorrow, God might tell you, go out into rural Australia, go preach the gospel, help some people on farmlands that are doing it tough. might tell you to go to Africa, to Asia, somewhere else, Whether, wherever it is, or even it might be go down to the homeless shelter down the road. Whatever it is, you're called to go, preach the gospel, to share the good news of Christ. And whilst it looks a bit different to what Abram did, it's all to do with faith, trusting in the God who created us. So let's bow our heads, we'll pray, and we'll get on with the rest of our service. Lord, we just thank you so much uh, for your sacrifice, Uh, that sacrifice that uh, the world sees as ridiculous, but that we know uh, is absolute wisdom, that you came, you died in our place, And we just thank you that we can celebrate that uh, today with communion. And we ask that as we remember what you did on the cross, uh, your body broken for us, your blood poured out, that we would be uh, remembering that we are your servants, that we are called to go, whether that is five metres down the road or across the world. And we just pray that you'd help us to do these things by your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen.